the reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39, which is page uh, 1026, if you've got the Bibles in front of you. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for him. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Dom, for reading um, that story. We um, are in the second week of Advent, and those of you who are online can't probably properly see, but um, St. Michael's is properly dressed in festive garb. We've got our tree, we've got garlands, we've got wreaths. Um, there's a lot of red and green all over. And the question we are really beginning to ask ourselves is, with three weeks to go to Christmas, are we ready? And today and over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to spend some time dwelling on the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas, as opposed to, say, perhaps the magic of Christmas. The magic of Christmas, I think we're pretty good at manufacturing ourselves. We all know how to set a good festive scene. We know how to set a mood with festive music. We get our lights, we get our sparkle. It's magic. And it's very beautiful. But the magic only really demands that we gawk at it for a moment, and then it's gone. But the wonder of Christmas comes from above. The wonder of Christmas can only come from God, and it lasts. It stays with us if we take the time to remember, to recall, and to reflect. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us another Advent. And we really want to take time. We would love for this Advent, for this Christmas season, to be different. We would really love for you to break through. And Lord, as we think this morning on your coming into the world as a baby, very quietly, we want to say to you, thank you, Lord. What a wonderful thing. 
And as we remember that we believe and we hope that you will come again, we want to say thank you, Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Will you speak to us now by your spirit? Will you touch our hearts and touch our minds and change us? We pray this in your name. Amen. So in Advent, we very intentionally remember some very big truths about our faith, the first coming of Jesus as a child, his second coming, which we look forward to when every eye shall see him in all his glory. And on top of these very big truths, we also find at this time of year that other memories come into our minds, memories of our friends and family, some who are still with us and some who are no longer with us. We remember Christmases that we've had in the past. And as I sat with the story of Mary and Elizabeth, as I sat with the song of Mary this week, a memory came into my mind of my grandfather singing. His room was at the front of the house and every day he would come, hear me coming home from school, I'd come through the front door and there was really no escaping it. He would call to me from his chair. And my grandfather was really quite old at this time and in his later years, he reverted back to dressing in traditional Chinese clothes. And he had this kind of little cap on his head and he would sit in his armchair leaning on his stick and he would call to me. And so I'd go and sit on the floor and he would start to sing. And sometimes he would sing psalms, but with me, mostly he sang Sunday school songs. You know, thank you, Lord, for our food and our home. Thank you, Lord, for our mother and our father. Thank you, God, for your spirit living in our heart. My father was, my grandfather was a Mandarin speaker and I was brought up in Hong Kong, so I, I was brought up speaking Cantonese, two very different Chinese dialects. And so my grandfather had to sing very simple songs or I wouldn't have understood. And in all these years, my Mandarin hasn't gotten any better, but I still remember those songs and I can still sing them. The opening chapters of Luke are full of songs. The song of Mary that we've just heard, the song of Zechariah, the song of Simeon. And our contemporary minds might look at these songs and think, oh, surely Luke must have just kind of embellished them onto the narrative, you know, as part of his kind of um, literary agenda. And I share with you this story of my grandfather singing as a reminder that actually you know, our ancestors really did sing in many settings. Those of them who loved the Lord sang of their own experience of God's goodness, and they sang to teach and encourage their children. So maybe these songs in Luke aren't really that strange after all. Perhaps we're the strange ones living as we do in our much more awkward and self-conscious age. We're the strange ones because we don't sing nearly as much as our ancestors did. And we've kind of made singing this little theatrical that we do from time to time rather than singing as a simple outpouring of what's in our heart. Another reason I share the story of my grandfather is to acknowledge that for every one of us, we have memories like these that are so important to us and for better or worse, and especially I think as we get older, memories play a huge part in our sense of who we are and where we come from. And memories also kind of dictate, shape our expectations of, well, how life should be, how things should be done, what's right. Memories are so powerful. And there's something about the Christmas season that supercharges the power of memories. 
to such an extent that memories can become idols for us. They start to take over our lives. They, the pressure of them send us into a kind of frenzy. They can drive our motivations. I don't know how many of you grew up reading Adrian Mole. I, I did. I grew up reading Adrian Mole. And I always remember, remember his Christmas Day entry where he goes upstairs and his mother is in the bathroom crying, trying to thaw the turkey out in the bathtub under the hot tap. And this caricature of how emotionally fraught we can get at Christmas really resonates because I think we all know how it feels to want to get those set pieces, those festive set pieces just right. We know how it feels to want to relive happy memories of Christmas past. And, you know, if we didn't have those memories, if we don't have happy memories of Christmas, we really want to create those memories now. And this year, maybe more than ever, we feel the pressure of that because last Christmas was cancelled and COVID has made us all aware of how fragile we are and we're desperate to make happy memories with those we love whilst we still have them with us, whilst we still have time. The Dutch priest and pastor Henri Nguyen wrote this in his diary. Somehow I realised that songs and music and good feelings and even beautiful liturgies, nice presents, big dinners, and many sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all our emotions and feelings. Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with how we think or feel. Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. Things will never look just right or feel just right. If they did, someone would be lying. But it's into this broken world that a child is born who is called the Son of the Most High, the Prince of Peace, Saviour. The fact is, we know this. We know that the feel-good songs and the dinners and the presents don't make Christmas. We know that however hard we try, it's true, things never do look or feel just right. But do we dare to do the alternative? Can we be bothered to do the alternative? Do we dare to rouse ourselves to say yes to this hope that Newman talks about, a hope based on God's initiative. In our reading this morning, we have two women living the first ever Advent. They both said yes to God, yes to God's initiative in them, even though it cost them rather a lot to say yes. Two women who said yes to God, working out his plan of salvation for all of humanity and all of creation through them, in them, in their bodies. In our reading, we have an account of what happened after the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her, you're gonna have this child and he's going to be very important. And as a sign to prove the truth of what Gabriel was saying, the angel said to Mary, look, your relative Elizabeth, who is said to be barren, She's also expecting a child, and actually she's in her sixth month. 
And so at the beginning of the story, we see Mary hurrying off to visit Elizabeth, to see her for herself. What can we learn from their story? What can we learn from that first advent for our advent? Let me offer a few thoughts this morning. From their story, we see that when God wants to do a work in us, when he wants to do a work through us, and we say yes to God, immediately we find ourselves free, free from ourselves, really, free from the expectations that our memories, our past, put upon us, free from the demands and pressures of our assumptions and our habits, free from our need for life to be a certain way, for things to be done a certain way. In verse 40, we read that Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. I love that. I love that encounter because here is Elizabeth who was old. She was advanced in years. She is the senior by far. And she has some social standing too. Her husband, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple. Mary was very much the young country cousin. But when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, she is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately the Spirit enables her to see what's going on. Who knows, maybe Elizabeth didn't know Mary was coming to visit, maybe she didn't even know that Mary was pregnant. But once Elizabeth is spirit-enabled to see God working in Mary, she knows that what is happening in Mary is something of much greater significance than what is even happening in her. She knows that the child Mary is carrying is going to be more important than her child. And she sees at once that she should be the one making that journey to visit Mary and her child. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? When the spirit is present, our ego flees. Our expectation of how things should be, of what's due to us, of what's right, becomes immediately irrelevant. We are free to see only that God is at work. God is at work in me, God is at work in you, God is at work amongst us, and in that we rejoice. In verse 42, it says, in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you would bear. Let's just think about this for a moment. Can we imagine Mary coming all that way tired, confused, reeling from what was happening, and she receives this amazing, warm, wholehearted welcome. Elizabeth's affirmation would have caused confidence and joy and excitement to well up in Mary in an instant. And Elizabeth has a commendation for Mary in verse 45. Blessed is she, who, can we have that up? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her, well done, you believed, well done. Can you imagine what that encouragement would have done for Mary? How will we spend our time this Advent? Will we spend our time trying to get things just right, even, if we, even though we know that things will never be just right? Or will we spend that time instead stopping 
to see what is the work that God is doing in me? What is the work that God is doing in you, in someone else? What is the work that God is doing amongst us? And will we take the time to affirm someone so that they can be blessed? Yes, the Lord is doing a good work in you. Will we take the time to say, I see what God is doing and I rejoice with you? A second thought, when we say yes to God's work in us, we are free from the constraints of our circumstances. Mary is able to sing in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God has been mindful. He has seen me. He has regarded me and he has shown me kindness and favor. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary's song sounds familiar to us because in structure, it's like many of the Psalms. And it sounds familiar in content as well because this is not the first time that God has used a nobody to play a key part in his work of salvation. Scripture is full of God acting this way. And that's what Mary sings in the rest of the song. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich empty away. Mary describes what God is like. He habitually inverts things. He turns out order, the values of the world upside down. God upends the priority we give to the powerful, the strong, the rich. And instead, God prioritizes the poor, the hungry, the humble, the weak. That's God's prerogative, and it seems that's God's tendency. As Paul would later put it in his second letter to the Corinthians, God's power is made perfect in weakness. It may be that some of us need to hear that affirmed this morning. It may be that we come this morning and our weakness is all too apparent to us. That weakness might be a physical weakness or an illness. It might be that our circumstances indeed feel constrained, perhaps in terms of relationships or finances or prospects. We need to hear that however weak or insignificant or invisible we feel, God can and does use us. Indeed, as Paul explains time and again, God by nature, by habit, by tendency, chooses to use the weak. Some of us might need to hear that. But for others of us, maybe we need to hear the flip side. Because by most standards, most of us, probably all of us here, should consider ourselves rich. Some of us here are influential. Some of us have great knowledge and we are great at our jobs, we are leaders in our field. We all like to say in a kind of unthinking way, it's great that God works through an ordinary person like Mary because that means he can work through an ordinary person like me. But how many of us are actually ordinary like Mary? 
How many of us can actually identify with this girl, this young woman from some tiny village in a forgotten part of the Roman Empire? How many of us are like Mary? For many of us, I dare to suggest, it's our strength, not our weakness, that gets in the way of God working in us. And if God by nature chooses to use the weak, then what does that mean for us? Where does that leave us? Henri Nguyen again, he writes, how can we embrace poverty when everyone around, around us wants to become rich? Poverty has many forms, and we have to ask ourselves, where is my poverty? Is it lack of money, lack of emotional stability, lack of a loving partner, lack of security, lack of safety, lack of self-confidence? Each human being has a place of poverty, and that's the place where God wants to dwell. Each human being has a place of poverty, and that's where God wants to dwell. For some of us this Advent, we need to hear that as a word of comfort. For others of us, we need to hear that as a word of challenge. What is your place of poverty? What is your place of weakness where God can dwell? And if today you honestly can't say that you lack in any of those things, if you don't have lack of money, if you don't lack emotional stability, if you don't lack love or security or safety, then maybe it's time to give something up or to give something over to God very deliberately and say, take this, Lord, and use it however you want. How will we spend our time this Advent? Will we spend it as our circumstances allow, either by ruining our reduced circumstances or basking, enjoying our favorable circumstances? Or will I spend that time finding my place of poverty and asking God to come and dwell there? Finally, saying yes to God means we can rejoice, even as we face an uncertain future. And I think Philip has pretty much shown us this morning what that looks like. He has come up here and we are sending him home to an uncertain future and he's up here rejoicing. We can rejoice like Philip, even as we face an uncertain future. We prepare for Christmas this year with the darkness of COVID still with us, and we're tracking the spread of this new variant and praying it won't hamper our gathering, our traveling, our singing. The future is unknown in a way that we didn't expect, and it can make us fearful. It can rob us of our joy. You know, the more I sat with the story of Mary and Elizabeth, the more it moves me. You know, these Christmas stories are so familiar to us that we can really kind of just be very cozy with them. And in this particular narrative, we can get caught up with this wonderful image of two pregnant women bonding, um, connected not just because they have family ties, but because they have two miracle babies growing inside them. Their joy is very real and very apparent from the words that they speak. But even as these women rejoice together, they harbor a great sense of the unknown about how their lives and the lives of these children are going to play out. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, yes, to confirm what Gabriel had told her, 
but surely she also goes for the calm before the calm before the storm because back home back in Nazareth there is still a fiance who needs to be told and he will need an explanation there might be a mother and father who will say to her how could you have done this how could you have disgraced us in this way there will be neighbors who will start to murmur and gossip when she starts to grow when her belly starts to swell all of that is to come and on top of all of that i'm sure mary knew the history of her people i mean it's very clear from what she sings that she knew her jewish history mary knew that to be favored by god to be chosen and singled out by god was yeah it was a blessing but like abraham and moses or esther or joseph or any number of her ancestors to be favored and blessed by god is not just for one's own self improvement is always also so that others so that other people so that all nations can be blessed through the obedience of a single life and in that cause all those chosen people had to endure sacrifice and suffering and so it was for mary being favored yes brought blessing but what cost there was as well what a sword she would have to bear the future was very uncertain but she says yes anyway and she rejoices anyway why verse 54 god has helped his servant israel god remembers to be merciful to abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors god will always help god will always remember god will always keep his promises so we thank god for giving us another year another advent for giving us more time how will we use that time will we use the time to make for ourselves magic will we use the time to make a magical christmas or will we use the time dwelling with him sitting with him with the wonder of christmas something that only god's initiative and god's work can create let's pray father thank you for giving us more time thank you that today we are in possession of our minds and our hearts and we can come and say these things to you and think these thoughts by your grace we ask that we spend well the time that you've given and we ask lord that we will allow your spirit to free us from ourselves free us from our circumstances free us from our fears lord we perhaps already feel the busyness of the season closing in give us the grace to stop so that we can be free to say yes to you yes to your offer to dwell in us yes to your offer to inhabit us and to use us we pray this lord jesus for your glory amen